it's Sally here. Just a quick one, just a quick one. If you like this really sweary podcast by Kalechi, sorry, Kalechi, do remember to rate and review Say Your Mind on Apple Podcasts, okay? Now for the very urban intro music. <laughs> it's the Ben's Punani woman, this baby boys, baby girls, you need to hear this. Keep it sit down, sit down, receive this realness. Make sure your cup's ready for the tea, we are go sip it, yo. Hard time scrolling for your long shorts. You might learn something you never know. Collect you find, and she's one of a kind. Don't say you mind, say you mind. When the fuck crease around you Bring tears to your eyes When all that surrounds you Are dickheads and lies I'll be your straw The one you can throw Keeping you right when they're wrong And you can take me in your hands To pass to those who are wrong and strong They can suck their mothers, ooh This I promise you this I promise you. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Hi. That's um that's my song for this week. Uh big up and sync. Um obviously not big up Justin uh culture take. Um <laughs> But yeah, that's that's my song for this week. I really felt it. That's This I Promise You by NSYNC, but I've, obviously I um, changed it um, to suit us, to suit our means, um, or to suit our ends, rather. These are the means to our ends or whatever. Uh, yep, it's me, Kalechi, in the place to be. Um, welcome to another episode of SYM, officially known as Say Your Mind, unofficially known as What What, that's right, Suck your mum. I'm incredibly happy to be here. I've got a banging headache um, and I'm pretty much topless because it took me a while. I'm always giving you updates on Lev, but it took me a while to kind of get him to sleep so I could record this um, endlessly trying to, you know, breastfeed him and stuff. Um, So in the end, I was just like, you know what, what what is a top? What is a blouse? What is a t-shirt? I don't fucking know. So... Yeah, I just got to record this topless because I can't be fucking asked. Like, I am tired. I'm tired, but I'm extremely happy. I feel extremely accomplished. If you've seen the title of this episode, you'll know that your baby girl has been doing bits and has been doing bobs. Yes, yes. Um, In this episode, I will be talking with Brian Stevenson, who is the ultimate uh, baby boy. Um, And I'll explain uh, very shortly. So, um, yeah, I just I feel super accomplished. I feel super excited. I just feel like super thankful to just life generally. Like I, I just feel great. 
to be honest, feel great. Um, this is coming after my performance at the Young Vic. I got that out of the way, that week-long project with um, Neighbourhood Voices. So the Neighbourhood um, Voices, they uh, are... It's a year-long project where the writers, um, you know, community writers, emerging writers... Um, they work with someone. So I think um, this year they were working with Ola um, Anima Shaun, to, um, who's a dramaturg, to um, work on their scripts and stuff and they needed to write a play. So myself and other, uh, you know, actors, professional actors were brought in to kind of realise the script. So we were given monologues to learn. So... Um, the writers and their friends and family could like see what their work looks like and it was really incredible like there's some great writing absolutely great writing I had to learn three monologues I think I might have mentioned it last week and it's hard to learn for me I'm the kind of actor that like I struggle to learn like lines if I don't know what we're doing with it so if I haven't like met the director like obviously I can do my own thing with it but by the time I've now done my own thing and you now want me to change it to your thing it's just really annoying so yeah the we met the director big up yourself Philip Morris baby boy met him on Monday at the Young Vic and then the performance was on Friday and needed to get all of these long ass monologues learnt by then but I did it you know, there's always that moment when I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, maybe this is the time, maybe this is the time I fuck it up and I don't learn these lines and they just don't sink in and they don't like, but shout out to man like me, you know, grew a human being, you know, the last time that I was doing this, I was growing a human being, they didn't know. So I was just like, ugh, the entire time. And then this year I'm back doing it again and he's four, four and a half months old and juggling that as well as going to rehearsals on the days that I needed to rehearse as well as doing this interview with Brian Stevenson to get it out for this uh, podcast episode as well as like going to screenings to make sure I've watched the movie so I can ask bad boy questions you know it's been a lot like this is the week that I was just like wow Kelechi you are really that Don you are that Don, you're big in the game, you're big in the game, like sometimes you just have to big yourself up, like rah, I see you, I see you, you're a G, so um, yeah, I'm really, really proud of myself for seeing all of that through, the hardest part of doing those monologues actually was, um, I had one monologue where I had to have a Jamaican accent, my god, you'd think with all the music that I listen to and I love so much that I wouldn't be scared but I was scared as fuck because I don't want to be disrespecting anybody's accent you get me like you 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 watch these tv shows and films and people are really doing these um, accents and you're like that is so disrespectful that's disgusting it's disgusting so um but my friends were like no you sound okay director was like you sound good and um yeah it it came off really really well on the night I'm really really happy with um how my Jamaican accent came out don't ask me to do it for you please um yeah don't ask me to do it for you because we don't need to be doing that to ourselves and I don't need to relive that but um yeah from the feedback I got it was amazing everybody enjoyed themselves and being on the stage reminds me just how much I love um, acting and directing, but I wasn't directing this time, but just how much I genuinely love acting. Like, you know, like there's something in life that you just know that 
I couldn't ever stop doing this because I don't know how I would survive. Like upon all the other skills and talents that I have and gifts and whatever, acting is the one that like really, really makes my heart come alive. And and I, and I love it. Like I love it with all of my soul. So it was great to, um, to be able to perform this week. I feel um, rejuvenated. I feel energized. I just, I'm ready. I'm ready for those castings. Couldn't go to many castings last year because my tummy was expanding along with my uterus. So um, this year we move. You know, we'll see. We see what comes up for me. Anyway, that's enough about moi. Um, yeah, that's enough about me. I think um, anything else that I was about to say was going to be extremely shady and extremely rude. Um, it's going to be about a screening. Um, but I won't say it because I'm trying to be a, like a gentle babe in 2020. So I won't drag anyone's hair follicles. Um, so let's get into the tarot then. Yeah, let's move into the tarot. So baby boys, baby girls, baby non-binaries. We haven't had our anthem in a while. So wherever you are, just center yourselves and begin with me. Just a baby girl in a baby world doing baby things, throwing straws at rasclat human beings. Thank you. That was the extended version. I hope you all like it. <laughs> no, I'll be serious now, really. Going into the tarot, going into the tarot. So tarot this week um, is really, really beautiful. It's so beautiful. It looks like some of you are getting your loving on, getting your loving on. So the first card that came out is the two of, cop, uh, the two of cups. We have no major arcanas. Um, here so it's all things that are happening in your day-to-day life so the first card very very beautiful um we've got the two of cups um so in the image we see that one of the um people in the um of the card has their feet in the water and the other has their they're by the seaside or at a beach and one of them has their feet on the sand and they're exchanging cups and it's beautiful and then you've got an image of a lion's face with wings um above them which is just saying that it's like spiritually ordained it's god given this beautiful union that they now have and this could be a relationship it could be um some in terms of it could be a career um those are the two main things that come up for me. And the reason I think it's a relationship more so is because most of the other cards that came out um, with this are cups as well. So my interpretation, just with what I feel, is that some of us are um, about to experience what we've always wanted in terms of that spiritual affinity. So it might be a new friendship or it might be a new job that's just everything you've always wanted. It doesn't matter whether you're freelancing or you're not. 
Um, if you're not, you could even be a new boss, a new colleague. It could just be something, um, a new job, whatever. It could be something that you've wanted, someone that you've wanted, a situation that you've wanted that's now about to present itself and it's about to present itself very, very quickly. And the reason I say very quickly is because that's the ace of wands, the card that we've got next. So it's either you're going to get an email about it or a text about it, or maybe you've met this person through social media or you've met them via one of the you know, the dating apps or whatever, but it's um, messages coming through or you might have travelled and that's where you've met the person or you're about to meet the person. Um, but I get the feeling that they're already here. So it's something that's already, like, it's new, it's very, very fresh, but it, it, to me, it's already here. So this um, new thing has arrived, this opportunity has arrived, an opportunity, regardless of what it is or what it manifests as in terms of a job or it's like a relationship, romantic relationship or whatever, whatever it's manifesting itself at, it's definite, um, as, it's definitely an energy of something um, that you've wanted, an energy of something that you've wanted that has now arrived, that's actually going to fill your cup and you know you've you've and it's going to be equal so often we're giving 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 we're the type of people to be giving 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 now this is saying that no this is some body or something that's going to meet you on a level playing field and they're going to be able to give to you as much as you have been given to other people um and it's going to happen very very quickly the person or the job or the opportunity, the energy is sure. The reason I say the energy is sure is because the next card that comes out is the King of Cups, which is like a Scorpio card, I, I read it as. So anyway, um, just like the King of Cups, very, very sure. They're deep in their emotions. They they really think before they leap. Um, so if it's a person, they're very sure about this being what they want. They're not going to be a fuck person that's going to be like, oh, well, I'm not sure. And then next week, and no. And if it's a job, it's not one that you're going to, you know, have to run away from. You might decide after a while that you've outgrown it. But definitely it's something that you need right now. Um, it's an opportunity that you need right now. But like I said, because I get the vibe that it's more like on a relationship tip, this person is very sure that this is what, they want you are who they want um they're very and i'm sure they've been very clear about it because king of uh, cups energies they don't mince their words i'm sure that they've told you if they haven't told you then they're not the king of cups but this person would have told you um in a variety of ways in numerous ways they would have let you know like i think you're a baddie I think you're big in the game I think you're a baby boy baby girl baby non-binary I'm ready to do this um and I guess this is a message from the angels this is a message from our spirit guides to say that it's okay for you to be nervous it's okay for you to be scared you're not used to people giving you as much as you give them and the reason I say that is because the last card of the uh the pool is the page of cups and so the page of cups is very new to this whole thing like you know you're very new to this so you've only got one cup and it's a small cup that you're offering forward because you're like yeah I want you to yeah, I'd like this to be a thing, but you're being tentative about it because you're not used to people coming at you with this sort of energy that, yeah, you know, they're about it, about it. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. You know, don't be scared. You deserve wonderful things too. You deserve the love that you so readily give out to other people. You deserve to get that energy back. And 
you know, the message that's coming through for me is like, you've got to fight this self-sabotaging energy where ultimately, because you believe that you're unworthy of love, you're constantly giving out, giving out, giving out your version of love to other people in an attempt to make them love you or to find value in you. And then suddenly this person's come along and said, you know, I don't need you to be doing all of them things for me. Like, I just like you for who the fuck you are. I think that you're sick for who the fuck you are. Like, I, I really enjoy you. And you're now like, mm, mm, I can't really trust this. Is it Groucho Marx that says something like, I'm... Uh, I wouldn't want to be part of any club that would accept me or something along those lines. So when people are readily wanting to accept you and they mean it, you're like, mm -mm, mm -mm, don't trust them. Must be something wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with them. You know, there's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with you. And that's why they want to show you a good time. And we're not talking about necessarily like if this is going to be forever, forever, forever. But we're talking about right now in this stage of your life, like this is what? you need this is what you've been desiring it is now here so don't worry yeah you can take your time be tentative you're going to learn at this you're, you're going to learn and I feel like this person seems more experienced at this whole thing than you are that doesn't mean you should let yourself be taken for idiot like but they wouldn't do that anyway but just it's okay to be tentative, it's okay to be cautious, but just don't let that ruin the energy of everything that's happening. Don't push them away because ultimately you're like, mm, I don't believe I deserve this. And then you start doing things to try to aggravate or antagonise the situation. I know that other people have fucked you around in the past, but don't let the characters, you know, from your other stories dictate how this story plays out. It's not fair you know so just leave yourself open to that and the card that came out from the say your mind affirmation card deck is i am spiritually cute i thought it wasn't the card for us so i put it back and then it came back out again um and it says here your spirit is heady and layered the type of spirit that becomes more sumptuous as it matures and i think that that's a perfect message as well like this relationship or opportunity or energy whatever it is is here to help you grow and it's here to help you grow in love like you came here to learn you came here as a spirit in human form to learn different aspects of love um you already know unconditional love you know it spiritually even if you don't remember it you know it spiritually because you are part of the most divine source of love that we are all created from so you already know unconditional love you came here to come and learn all the other types of love and how to continue loving even when the world is moving mad yeah so to evolve in your understanding of love to under to evolve in your understanding of humanity situations and people and circumstances will be presented to you to allow you to learn from those situations and this one is being presented to you because it's here to help you evolve emotionally some of you might already be in that relationship so what we could be looking at here is um maybe you're already married yeah or engaged or whatever maybe you're already married you're engaged you've been with this person you know that they're who you you're they're who you need but you're fighting that because you still want to do baby girl and baby boy and baby non-binary ways you used to want to do things the way like you've been doing as a baby person you're rather immature in the relationship that you're in now even though you've done the outward thing of marriage and rare 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 you're still immature where you are because you're still stretching your neck outside and looking at what other people are doing you're like oh that looks a bit fun maybe if these things had come around in my time 
before I met this person, you know, things would have been different. And the message for you is, nah, it wouldn't have been. You are with the person you should be with, yeah? And so it's time to grow the fuck up and appreciate that the, the grounding that this person provides you appreciate the grounding that they provide you and use that to grow and learn about yourself you have what everybody else is chasing out there right so I mean you know and I'm talking to specific people here if your um, relationship isn't banging like that this is not for you but I'm talking about those people you know who you are you know if you're listening to it and it resonates with you then you know who you are you know so I don't have to keep giving disclaimers but it's just my head making sure I've covered everything um, as as it's flowing through me. But um, all of this that looks exciting out there that all of these other people are doing, understand that they have to find humour. They have to find something um, tangible in the very tempestuous nature of dating, you know. So if you can cast your mind back, remember that it wasn't all fun and games when you were also out here in these streets, yeah? So don't just be in the relationship, marriage, engagement, whatever it might be. Don't just be there because you're like, mm, well, you know, don't be there outwardly. Don't just be there outwardly. Grow where you've been planted, like start to bloom, yeah? And the person that you're with is constant. They haven't given you reason to move mad. So if they're not giving you reason to move mad, please stop moving mad stop being a mad person yeah so that's that um and then from the marcella kroll deck the card that came out is um number 39 uh it says here number 39 nature spirits um and it says the elementals fairies divas and other nature spirits request your presence it's time to venture outside go into nature and recharge your batteries with the trees the grass the mountains the desert and the sea this is a magic that awaits you there is a magic that awaits for you when you commune with nature um, and the symbol is dryad or dryad, um, are tree spirits and keepers of earth knowledge, Greek in origin, but worshipped by many respected earth-based religions. So maybe, again, I, I ended up using that term randomly about being grounded, yeah? Be grounded, and, and then I talked about planted, I don't know, wild, wild. And why it's wild is because, like I'm always saying, I never read what the Marcella Kroll thing is for uh, before recording. I just start recording and then I read it. Um, as I'm recording but it's that idea that the need for grounding you know the only other card that came out with the cups card is the wands so this just that energy like that's fire that's coming to us like just find find something find something to really root yourself into the moment into the present you know, be present in your relationships, be present in um, the manifestation of your desires. If something has arrived that you've asked for, when things arrive that you've asked for, understand that you deserve them, otherwise they wouldn't have arrived, yeah? And and walk in that knowledge and really grow in that knowledge. So yeah, that's it for the tarot this week. I know that some of you have been absolutely amazing and you'll message me and you'll tweet and um, post on Facebook uh, I was about to say Facebook, Um, you post on Instagram about how um, the reading has resonated with you. And I really, really appreciate that. So, yeah, 
continue to post. Um, if you want to send me anything about this, um, you can send it to sym at kelechiokafor.com. Is that right? Yes, it is. S-Y-M at kelechiokafor.com. You can send it there. And yeah, definitely keep tweeting. Hashtag say your mind, say your mind pod. Um, and share how you're getting on with the tarot and the bits and bobs that I am sharing with you. So that's that for the tarot. We're going to move into Share Your Magnificence. And as I said, my Share Your Magnificence this week is Brian Stevenson. And I feel so emotional, um, like, wow. So backstory, right? You man know that I like um, Oprah's Super, uh, Super Soul Conversations, although to be honest, I haven't listened to it in a while. Um, like there's so many episodes for me to get to. I think I'm still on 2018 because I started from the very beginning. Um, and one of the episodes I listened to was um, Oprah having a conversation with Brian Stevenson, who is the author of um, his, um, his memoir. Obviously, he wrote a memoir called Just Mercy. And... I remember listening to him on Oprah Super Soul Conversations and thinking, my God, this man is incredible. Like, I would really, really like to meet him someday. And I just said it like, I'd really like to meet him someday. Because, you know, I'm always saying I see myself as a baby Oprah. Like, that is what I aspire to. You know, I know that there are some higgy hagger things that you men have mentioned that she's done. And I'm talking about just in terms of the blueprint of her the trajectory of her career then the the numerous things that she's able to do I'm talking about that specifically when I'm seeing myself as a baby Oprah and you know in the spirit of being a baby Oprah I wanted to also interview Brian Stevenson because I know that I have my questions too so over the Christmas period I obviously knew that Just Mercy the film was coming out um starring Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx. And I was like, wait, wait, that they're going to do a UK kind of premiere then. That means that they might be coming to London then. And honestly, I know that you lot say, oh, you know, you show me how to be unapologetic. You show me how to be this. You show me how to be that. Sometimes I'm a scaredy cat, you know, I, I don't always shoot my shot. I am riddled with so much self-doubt sometimes that it's mad and I always have to center myself so I've been having to do like lots of meditation and be really present in the moment to stop myself like spiraling especially after such a tough um like mid to end of 2019 in terms of work aspirations and things and people moving mad so um yeah I I I remember seeing something that was just like, when disappointments happen, you go one way. Why don't you try going the opposite way? And I thought to myself, yeah, I'm pissed off because people aren't really, really respecting my value to the level that they should. Am I going to sit here and be vexed about that? No, I need to do something with this energy. I want to interview Brian Stevenson, so I'm going to find any fucking way to make it happen. And I just started sending out emails and finding out who was dealing with what in terms of, um, you know, um, them um, Brian possibly coming to London and Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx, etc., trying to find out all the information because I, I was like, no, I need an interview. And it was as if God wanted to let me know that, wow, baby girl, I'm so proud of you because 
all the press had already been decided. Everything had already been decided by the time um, someone got back to me. Everything had already been decided yet. They were like, oh, you know what? We're going to try and squeeze you in and big up the Vamp girls, Vamp UK. Like they really did that. Like they moved whatever they needed to move. They did whatever they needed to do and asked around for me. And boom, I got my interview with Brian Stevenson. There were didn't, No one gave me Jamie Foxx or uh, Michael B. Jordan, but that wasn't my focus, like I also had to remember because I was starting to, if you don't know me, yeah, let me tell you something about me. Sometimes I can move extremely mad and I want one thing, but if I'm not given the other things, I'll be like, so why didn't I get those things? Why, why was I left out of those things exactly? And I want to start beefing over those things. And I really, really heard God say, my girl, face your fucking front. That's what God said verbatim. God was like, baby girl, face your fucking front and I was like okay heard you God soz about that but honestly I wanted this so much like and then it happened so this is just a you know um it's a share your magnificence right um to talk about Brian Stevenson but it's also a share your magnificence the big up everybody out there that listens to this podcast that you are the ones that help me have the numbers because I really sent those emails with my numbers with my downloads and streams and whatever whatever you want to call them and I said like boom this is how homegirls are moving and they were like rah you're moving sick still and you know it gave me that credibility to get my interview and when he walked in the room I felt so emotional I was like, man, I'm meeting Brian Stevenson. I am meeting Brian Stevenson because I wanted to meet him and I put it out into the universe that I wanted to meet him. Then I did the fucking work. It's one thing to just put something out into the universe, but you have to be the work. um, You have to be the work also. Yeah. And you have to do the work to have those things manifest. You can't just keep asking for shit, but not leaving the, you know, staying in one spot. You also have to move with the energy of the things that you want behave as if they've already arrived and if I'm out here talking about I'm um, um, a baby Oprah like I'm an academy award-winning baby girl out in these streets I need to move like an academy award-winning baby girl until that day arrives you know in the physical realm um so yeah so in case you don't know about Brian Stevenson and you're just like what the fuck is this girl going on about I'll tell you a little bit about him so Brian Stevenson um, was born in 1959 um November 14th so Scorpio gang I'm not literally a Scorpio I'm actually sun in Libra but everything else seems to be in Scorpio so I'm an honorary Scorpio um he's an American lawyer and he's a social justice activist and he's the founder and executive director of the Equal Justice Initiative and a clinical professor at New York University School of Law he's based in Montgomery Alabama and he has challenged bias against the poor and the minorities in the criminal justice system, especially children. He's helped achieve United States Supreme Court decisions that prohibit sentencing children under 18 to death or life imprisonment without parole. Um, Stevenson has assisted in cases that have saved dozens of prisoners from the death penalty, advocated for poor people and developed community-based reform litigation aimed at improving the administration of criminal justice. Just by hearing those things, you should know like why this fits this podcast so well and why me as a person, why it would be so important for me to meet this man like when I was, when you listen to, you'll hear the interview shortly, but when you listen, you can imagine, I felt like he was 
giving me the guidance that I need at such a crucial moment in my life because honestly I've been thinking like fuck all of this stuff I'm tired of speaking and speaking when I don't feel like I get the support that I deserve sometimes or I need sometimes um from the community or just generally and um then when I do want to do things in terms of my career um it's almost like it's not glitzy or glamoury enough to 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 get the space that I need to do these things so I was just like fuck it and then speaking with him I was just like no I'm on the right track because look at this man look at this man looking trim his skin is clear like his eyes are bright like he's in great shape like he's literally living life doing social justice doesn't mean that it needs to kick you up the ass that it needs to fuck you over like you can still be a baby person and believe the things and fight for the things that you want so yeah it was just wonderful meeting him and yeah so the film just mercy which came out uh, january 17th so do go and watch it because i've seen it twice and it's gorgeous it's just gorgeous um it's about him so the film just mercy is about him and um, it's based on his memoir just mercy a story of justice and redemption which tells the story of walter mcmillan um who was wrongfully convicted and put on death row um uh and he was there for six years so and apart from that you'll hear me allude to it when i'm talking with him he initiated the national memorial for peace and justice in montgomery alabama which honors the names of each of over uh, 4000 um, african americans lynched in the 12 states of the south from 1877 to 1950 And he argues that the history of slavery and lynchings has influenced the subsequent high rate of death sentences in the South, where it has been disproportionately applied to minorities. So, um, yeah, I just, I I, I, I want you to just listen to the um, interview because I did bits, like I I motherfucking did that, yeah? If, If there is a that to do, your baby girl did that, you know, and um, Brian is phenomenal and he's my share your magnificence. So here we go. Thank you so much, Brian. Delighted to be with you. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm fangirling in this moment because I first heard um, I first heard you on Oprah's Super Soul Conversation. And I was like, int- I set that intention. I was like, I'm going to meet Brian <laughs> and nobody's going to tell me any different. There <laughs> you go. That's right. <laughs> and um, then read Just Mercy. Yeah. And then when I found out the film was coming out, I started like messaging everyone. I was like, I need to speak to Brian. <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, I just really wanted to talk to you uh, and thank you first yeah. and foremost for the incredible incredible work that you are doing thank you um and the way that you put yourself out there um, in such a selfless way I think yeah. because watching the film depicts some of your experiences yeah. um I wanted to break something yes <laughs> <laughs> so um to jump right into it because I know that I don't um, have lots of time with you um the opening shot in the film we see Walter McMillan mm-hmm felling this tree and instantly I thought of lynching mm-hmm. and I know that, that we, we've got the memorial now mm-hmm. as well um mm-hmm. for all of like 4,000 mm-hmm. lynchings that have mm-hmm. happened since um is it 1877 yeah. so um it, it made me instantly think of that and even though we know that the tree is part of nature mm. the things that have happened to black people especially yeah. when we look at Alabama haven't been natural that's right. That's right. And and how do you, you know, are there symbols like that that you've picked up in a film that sure. you wanted to convey? Yeah. Well, I do think that it was important to provide some context 
For this story, I mean, you see an innocent black person who's wrongfully accused, convicted, and condemned. Mm. And, uh, you know, they put him on death row before he's been tried. Mm. Uh, They disregard all of this clear evidence of his innocence. Mm. And the question becomes, how can this happen? Why does this happen? And I think the historical context Mm -hmm. is important. Um, You know, in America, we are still struggling to mm-hmm. recover mm-hmm. from this long history of racial injustice. Mm. We're a post-genocide society because what we did to Native people when mm. Europeans came mm-hmm. was a genocide. We killed millions. Mm-hmm. And we've been working around these narratives of racial difference from the very beginning. Mm. And for me, that was the great evil of American mm-hmm. slavery is to justify enslavement. Uh, enslavers had to create this idea that black people aren't as good as white people, that black people aren't fully human, black Mm -hmm. people aren't evolved. And that narrative gave rise to this ideology of white supremacy, and we haven't really overcome that yet. You know, our 13th Amendment talks about ending involuntary servitude, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't say anything about ending that ideology of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And so I've long argued that slavery doesn't end in the mid-19th century, it just evolves. Yes. And, and that gave rise to this 100-year history where you saw lynchings and racial terrorism and violence and then Jim Crow laws and mm-hmm. segregation and apartheid. And today we have mass incarceration, which disproportionately targets people of yes. color. Yes, And uh, if you're black or you're brown in America, you can be a journalist, you can be a teacher, you can be an advocate, you can be a medical professional, you can be a pastor. But you're going to navigate a presumption of dangerousness and guilt that gets assigned to black and brown people. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. makes you vulnerable Mm -hmm. to the kind of wrongful conviction, the kind of excessive punishment, Mm -hmm. which we explore in the film Mm -hmm. uh, by looking at the plight of Walter McMillan. And I wanted that context to be part of the story because Mm -hmm. I think it's the thing that we still have to challenge, we Mm -hmm. still have to fight. Uh, You covered so much there, all all things that were so um, pertinent and prevalent when I was watching um, the film. And it is the idea that racism, white supremacy, because of the way that it is a mechanism, it evolves and it's always adapting to the time. So you think that you've overcome this? Well, we're just going to give you something else. Now, um, I read that you um, uh, grew up during segregation Mm -hmm. and... So you've seen the evolution yeah. of this. Yes. And was that a driving force for you? It was. Um, my great-grandparents were enslaved in Virginia. Uh, mm. My great-grandfather learned to read while enslaved. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did that because he believed one day he would be free. And I think about that a lot because there was no evidence that that freedom would actually come. Mm. And he had that kind of faith. He believed things he hadn't seen. Mm. And he gave that to my grandmother. My grandmother would talk about how after emancipation, all the formerly enslaved people would come to their home and my great-grandfather would stand up and he would read the newspaper each night just so people would know what's going on. And it gave her such pride that Mm. he had that power. And she wanted to learn to read. And she gave that to my mother. And my mother gave that. To me, Mm. uh, we grew up poor, but my mother uh, went into debt to buy the World Book Encyclopedia so we'd have a portal to the larger world. And, um, you know, I've always believed that you have to sometimes stand up when people say sit down. You sometimes have to speak when people say be quiet. That Mm. is the legacy that was given to me by Mm -hmm. these family members and by so many other people of color who have fought Mm. for justice and equality. And so as a child... You know, 
um, I started my education in a colored school because mm-hmm. they didn't let black kids go to the public schools mm-hmm. in my community. And then have integration come. I just believe that our history, while it is painful and difficult, is also a source of strength. Mm-hmm. And there are stories of resistance and, and resilience that we need to understand mm-hmm. to be prepared to meet the challenges that we face mm-hmm. today. I live in Montgomery, Alabama, which is an historic place in America. Mm-hmm. And it's challenging uh, but I know I'm standing on the shoulders of people who did so much more with so much less. Absolutely, you know? giants. And, yeah. uh, and that is important when I think about the work that I have to do. Yeah, and you, you've done a lot of work. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And you are, like I said, not just... People throw around, um, around the word inspiration, yeah. but you are an inspiration oh, because, you. you know, even the nature of this podcast, I, it, it, all I care about talking about is injustice yeah. and um, wanting to have that out there. Because in Britain, I guess the nature of the racism is more insidious. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about the disproportional um, uh, incarceration of black and brown people in this country, it's just like, oh, well, they did do something. Mm-hmm. Um, we mm-hmm. talk about the disproportionate <clears throat> stop and search rates, um, the, the way that police stop um, black and brown boys, but most especially black boys um sometimes it makes it hard for me to breathe i I think about that um aspect and i see that conveyed in the film as well there's a lot of breath we we see moments of just breath yeah what how do you how do you breathe because you're working when do you breathe yeah yeah well i mean i think it's a really insightful question and you're right um uh, we talk about how to situate yourself Mm -hmm. when you're surrounded by so much bigotry and sometimes so much intolerance mm-hmm. and, and uh, animosity and mm. and uh, how do you navigate a space like that and I do think knowing your own rhythm knowing your own pace but also knowing your own strength mm. um, I feel really um, centered in the purpose that I've been called to I feel like mm-hmm. um, you know my calling is to stand with the poor to stand with the condemned to mm-hmm. stand with the incarcerate uh, to affirm the basic human dignity and basic human rights of every person mm. and when I remember that and I'm focused on that you know it has um, this way of just calming me and quieting the noise around me mm. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that the elders, the people who have raised me, gave me that insight, mm. you know. Um, I, there are times when it can feel like if you don't respond with the same level of anger, the same level of violence, mm-hmm. the same level of bigotry, that you're going to be unsatisfied. And what I've been taught is that even in the face of that, Mm -hmm. you can't give your soul away. You can't give your heart away. You've got to stay on the side of love. That's what my grandmother reminded me over and over again. Mm. And, um, you know, I do believe there's something better waiting for us. I don't accept that this is as good as it can be. And uh, I, you know, we've had some real success in our work and that's encouraging Mm -hmm. and that's affirming. Things like this film or the next step. Yes. You know, I was really content to just do my work and and kind of be out of the limelight. But about 10 years ago, I realized that if we didn't engage in broader discourse, mm-hmm. broader narrative work, yeah. we weren't going to get where we're going to go. Yeah. And this film will get a lot of people exposed to the realities that a lot of people of color live with every day. Mm-hmm. And I often believe that if people saw what we see on a regular basis, they'd want the same things we'd want. They'd yes. want people to be treated fairly. They want people to be treated 
uh, with respect. They don't want abuse and cruelty. There's just this ability to not be exposed, to not have to look. Mm, mm. And the thing that's great about uh, film and cinema is it can invite people into spaces where they're required to look. Yes. And hopefully they'll take that with them when they leave. And and I think that that's important, very important, the fact that when we look at um, the people that you're working with, because we had Eve... Yes. Yes, um, yes, in the film, yes. um, played by Brie Larson. Yes. And I initially, when I saw her come on screen, I was like, here we go, yeah. here we yeah. go, white <laughs> saviour, yeah, right. But what was so wonderful was yeah. that that did not happen. Absolutely. And so we have a duty to kind of depict things on screen that doesn't coddle That's right. audiences. That's and exactly we just right. let them know that this is the role that somebody actually played. That's right. And this is the rest of it. That's right, that's right. Yeah, no, that was really important to me. Um, I mean, so often when films are made about any kind of racial inequality mm-hmm. or racial injustice, the films seem to find a way to make the answer to that mm. some white hero, mm. some white savior. And um, in, in, in history and in reality, that's not frequently the case. Mm. And I don't think it should be that way in cinema. Mm-hmm. And even though it may be comforting to audiences yes. to present things in that way, it's not accurate. And for me, it was uh, really important that that not be mm. a part of this presentation. And so I'm I'm grateful that we can tell a story that doesn't have that element. Yeah, and that's why I want everyone to go and see it, because yeah. um, I'm so proud of it. I didn't do anything. In the <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so proud well, of it. Well, you should feel proud. I want you to feel proud, too. <laughs> it's just wonderful. Um, and you mentioned anger very briefly and um, being taught to always stay on the side of love. And I think that yeah. that's wonderful. That's going to be the title of this episode. Yeah. Um, the scene that got me really angry was the strip search. Yes. Um, <laughs> and knowing that you're legal counsel yeah. and still being commanded yeah. to strip down yeah. and, and to be dehumanized in that way, just to remind you as they would um, deem it of your place yes, that's in right. this hierarchy. That's right. That's right. No. And, and that's the challenge. You're often put in places where, you have to bear the weight of humiliation mm. and degradation and all of that. The thing that I try to never forget is that no matter how vulnerable I become in a situation mm-hmm. like that, my clients are more vulnerable than I am. That's true. I was in that prison to see somebody who was literally facing execution, mm. uh, who wouldn't be able to walk out of that prison, uh, who didn't have the option to just get mad and say, I'm not going to do this and go home. Yes, And in that respect, um, you know, you do the difficult things because you're trying to serve people who are at greater risk than you are. You're trying Mm -hmm. to help people who are even uh, more threatened than you are. Mm. And then you store it for me and you um, make it a point to find ways to challenge that. Mm. And, uh, you know, that that moment where those folks thought they could get away with something degrading Mm. and intimidate me to go away Mm -hmm. it didn't succeed then and now I get to talk about it for the world to see how we can abuse power if we're not held accountable how we can um um you know exploit uh power and um you know there's some satisfaction in letting people know that uh, there are people in positions of power that do things like that Mm -hmm. and and that we need to challenge them yeah and to me you're an alchemist you're an alchemist because um even in just that description um you transmute this degrading situation or what it was intended to be degrading and you made it something else um what advice do you have for people who are 
in those situations where yeah. they might not have a film yeah. made, how do they transmute? Yeah. How do they um, have that alchemy? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny in the civil rights movement, we used to sing this song. They say, ain't gonna let nobody turn me around, turn mm. me around, turn me around. And there is this idea that you just have to keep walking even when it's hard. I think about the civil rights movement a lot. I think about the people who came before me. Mm-hmm. The people who are trying to do the work I'm trying to do today in mm. Montgomery 60 years ago mm. had to frequently say, my head is bloodied but not bowed. Yes. And uh, these beautiful people would put on their Sunday best mm. and they would go to a bridge or to a park or to a school to protest. And they knew they would likely get battered mm-hmm. and bloodied and bruised and attacked by dogs. But they went mm. anyway. And I think about the courage. I think about the strength. I think about the commitment mm. to a better future, to a, to a generation to come after them that had more freedom. Mm. And I want to honor that. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get turned around just because someone uh, says something impolite or harsh or mm. insulting. I don't want to get turned around just because someone tries to intimidate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't want to get turned around. I think there is a power holding many of us up to do things. And mm. I feel that power. You know, I, mm. you know, I didn't used to want people to know that my great-grandparents were enslaved. When I went to Harvard Law School, I didn't want people to know. Mm. I started my education in a colored school. Mm-hmm. And then I started thinking about this work. And I went to death row and I met people who were literally dying for legal assistance. Mm. And after that, I just had a new relationship to this history. And I wanted everybody to know I'm the son of enslaved people who is still fighting for justice. Mm. I'm a child who was born in segregation, who is still demanding equal rights. Mm. And these histories are, um, however painful, also uh, the power that give us the strength to endure, the strength Mm -hmm. to stand, Mm -hmm. the strength to speak the strength to lead, the strength to fight, Mm. and ultimately the strength to prevail. Mm. And, you know, in the civil rights area, we used to sing that song, We Shall Overcome. I think about that a lot Mm. because it's still very much my aspiration to Mm. overcome all of these barriers, this bigotry, these presumptions. And uh, I believe we will. We yeah. just have to keep fighting. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I'm holding on to that because some days I just yeah. I'm like, ah, come yeah. on, come on, this is this is horrendous. Yeah. Um, and so the byline for like the or the you know everything or the log uh, the logline for a lot of. Uh, the promotion for this film mm-hmm. is, um, you know, heroes mm-hmm. and heroes. And sometimes mm-hmm. people think about heroes as being void of fear mm-hmm. or like just mm-hmm. not having that. Yeah. And then I see that scene where you're stopped by the police mm-hmm. and it it's so it resonated so much because we're still yeah. seeing that. Yes. Um and then I think that Michael B. Jordan did a great job of portraying yeah. that fear yes. that because in that moment you're just lucky. Yes, that's right. Or blessed. I, that's you know, right. I'm always yes, saying blessed. Yes. How do you work with fear? Yeah. Well, I do think that's the thing. You can't do justice work, you can't do hard things, you can't do important things without being prepared to face mm. adversity and resistance. And um, and I think what I think about when I think about the black people in Montgomery that kept walking mm. when they declared the boycott on the buses, when they mm. kept marching, when they kept struggling, is not that they were unafraid, because I think you can't help but mm. to be fearful, mm. <clears throat> was that they kept doing it anyway, yes. despite the fear. Yeah, And that's what's heroic, is that after that moment of crisis passed, you still resolve to keep going, mm. despite the intimidation. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we have a long history 
a legacy of courage of people mm-hmm. who found a way to endure, to mm-hmm. keep fighting. And, um, you know, I think we have the capacity now, we have more resources now, we have more um, uh, people in places where they can exercise influence mm-hmm. than ever before. And uh, we are in a position to be strategic and tactical about incru- increasing the justice quotient mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. Britain, in America, all over the world. Yes. And that's the exciting thing is that you and I are having a conversation uh, on a forum, on a platform that didn't exist. Exactly. You know, 40 years ago, we wouldn't have been able to talk like this. Yes. To have these sentiments and attitudes and ideas mm. expressed to a community of people who are looking for uh, affirmation. And now we can. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. a new service in this kind of larger struggle mm. uh, for a more just world. And so that's the return, if you will, mm-hmm. for being willing to overcome fear. Okay, well, I'll bear that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> and so my final question, yeah. um, I I've love the title of the book, Just Mercy, and yeah. now the film Just Mercy. And it reminds me, obviously, of um, Portia's speech in The Mer- Merchant of Venice and, yes. you know, talking about the mercy that truly the judicial system should be giving us. Yes. Um, but we are seeing that, obviously, it's more afforded to the more privileged. Yeah. And I just wonder if you feel like we... we you mentioned us overcoming. Do you think that in this lifetime, mm-hmm. uh, in, in this generation, mm-hmm. that that's something that we're likely to see, the the, the beauty of mercy afforded mm-hmm. to those who are marginalised? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it depends on what we do, mm. but I think it's certainly possible. Mm. Uh, I mean, we've had, uh, we've made a lot of progress. You know, I've now, our office is now won relief for about 140 people were wow. sentenced to death yeah. who've been released or won reversals. Um, we've made some progress you know, there is an awakening that's happening around mm. these issues. And uh, we opened a museum uh, dedicated to the legacy of slavery. Yes. We opened a memorial, and I hope people will come and visit us in Montgomery. And I wouldn't have imagined that would be possible four or five years ago. Mm. So I do think we're, um, you know, in the beginning stages of what I hope will become an era mm-hmm. of truth and justice, yes. of repair, of restoration. Uh, we're certainly empowered to do that, and it's just a question of whether we'll use that power and service for others. Yes. I do ultimately think our system's going to be judged not by how it treats the rich and the powerful and the privileged, mm. but by how it treats the poor, yes. the marginalized and the excluded. And that's the challenge we face. And yeah, I do think in our generation we can see real change. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop that. Woo, woo, woo. Like, such a sick interview. Like, absolutely sick interview. I'm I'm not over it. I feel like I've listened to it, like, about three times since... Um, since doing the interview, like I, um, I got to interview Brian Stevenson. Like, are you nuts? Same person that's had like, uh, like what one hundred and forty um, of these death row um, convictions and sentences. Um, re- re- um, what's that word? Overturned. One hundred and forty. One hundred and forty. It's mad. It's just absolutely mad. And. It was just, it was a joy and an honour to speak with him. So Brian Stevenson um, of the Equal Justice Initiative, two slaps on your chest because you really are the ultimate baby boy. Like, truly appreciate it. Truly appreciate having that conversation. Um, Thank you so much. So that was all nice and lovely. 
wasn't it? Let's move into the utter trash that is so you mad. So the first um, topic on so you mad this week, young jock. Young Jock, um, rapper, is it from Atlanta, I want to say? Because all the youngs seem to be from, like, them sides there. Anyway, so Young Jock, there's a video that came, um, that's been going around on the internet of him driving an Uber. So two women, I think it uh, was, that they got into the Uber that they booked and he happened to be the driver. So as nasty human beings do, they got their phone out and they were like... um, can you just confirm that it's you, like, young jock? It, it is you, right? So what, you, like, fell off? You, did you fall off? Like, what happened? What happened? Because you out here driving an Uber. What happened? And you can see that he feels so, so embarrassed. And I just wonder, like, what's wrong with people? Like, what didn't you get in terms of nutrients when you were growing up that has so deeply impaired your logic and your humanity and your, I don't know, your empathy? Like, what's wrong with you? Who didn't raise you properly? Like, the guy's driving an Uber to, and he says himself, he's just like, you know, I, I think like it's an easy way to get money. Like, would you prefer that he was slinging rocks on the corners? Like, what would you prefer? You'd prefer that he was dealing drugs or um, robbing people. What would you prefer exactly? Why is it such a, a faux pas? Why is it such a big deal when these, um, you know, former celebrities, whatever you want to call it, why is it such a big deal when they just go and get day-to-day jobs? Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's just weird. It's like you enjoy seeing people have more money than yourself. Like you enjoy celebrities being celebrities um, and reminding you of the shit you won't ever get. And if they, for some reason, happen to then come back to looking the way you look and doing the things you do, you're like, oh, you bitch, you fucked it up. That's not to say that I don't see that there is a conversation definitely to have about financial literacy, but I don't necessarily know how much money he even made at the time. But yet still, we know that he made money and now he's driving an Uber, but that doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't have money. Um, Well, okay, it does, Kalechi, it does. (laughs) Anyway. I just I just felt really bad for him and it was the same with that actor when he was working at where was he working is it Trader Joe's or somewhere where he was working and then someone got their camera and out and they were like isn't that this actor this former actor why is he here working what do you want these people to do if they don't have money if they're not getting jobs like they used to what do you want them to do like it's it's really really wild to me and I and I wonder because I think like rapping is one of those things where you can just keep making um songs and keeping yourself relevant so I don't know why young jock is no longer um you know making songs or is no longer relevant but to like have a camera in his face and take the piss out of him like that I just think like it's mad like let people have their space let people have their space to do their things like I couldn't watch it without cringing. I felt bad for him. I just thought it was really, really um, unnecessary. Like, it's, yeah, I just thought it was really, really unnecessary. It's horrible, horrible. Um, But yeah, I just, I I do hope that um, celebrities, rappers, whoever, they learn to use their money more effectively because I think people spend money, again, from that place of, 
scarcity. It sounds weird, right? Because you'd think that they're spending from a place of abundance that they think it's never going to run out. But no, I think that they're spending from a place of scarcity in that they've never had that. So they're like, oh, I've got to do this. 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 I've never had this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And so they operate from that place. They don't find a stillness. And then before they know it, everything's run out because they're working um, from past hurts, past wounding and not thinking about the future um, and their future healing and yeah um, it, it's really really sad that he's found himself there but really fuck them two people fuck those two people that made the video and then posted it online you lot are dickheads and you're nasty nasty human beings and the way that you want to embarrass people is the way that you too you'll be embarrassed what goes around comes around so that's what I wanted to say about that but then in other news of people having their camera phones out and moving mad I mentioned him on the last episode, so I don't, I've like I've never talked about this guy ever before, and then suddenly I'm about to talk about him twice in in two episodes. Um, so TMZ are reporting right that the baby, the rapper, um, he assaulted a hotel worker. Now let me tell you what the hotel worker did. So um, DeBaby put up um, an Instagram story where he basically said, the hotel worker you see me pushing came up to me outside the hotel and asked if he could record a video of me while I was holding my two-year-old daughter. I calmly and respectfully said no and explained to him that posting a video of me at the time would compromise the safety of me and my child by letting social media know where we were staying. So he said all of that and basically the hotel worker went ahead and made the video anyway, like... Um, he just went and made the video and to which the baby then dragged him about, like drapes them up, like battered him up. And I am on his side. I'm really, really on the baby's side because if I've told you, don't make a fucking video of me because I have my child. And the thing is, you've been given a reason. I'm not going, don't make a video of me because I just don't feel like it, which I would be well within my rights to say also. But I'm saying don't make a video of me right now because it would compromise the safety of my two-year-old daughter. And you thought, fuck that, I'm still going to do it anyway. And then you went and you started recording the re- recording the video regardless. Like People have such a disregard for people that they see as celebrities and their family life. Like... I can't imagine like seeing a celebrity. I saw Ian McKellen the other day who plays Gandalf. I saw him on the tube when I was coming back from my performance on Friday. Um, And I didn't go up to him and be like, you shall not pass. I I just left the guy alone. You know, and I've seen other people. I've been um, at dinner right next to David Beckham. Like my table was right next to David Beckham's. I didn't go and start moving mad. Other people from other tables started coming up to him and like doing the most but I just minded my business even though I was sitting the closest to him and I just got on with it because you just get on with things you just leave people alone and so the baby is there you see him with his family member you see him with a little girl a baby girl and then you're still trying to do that why why because I don't think people understand the very real reality of the fear you feel as a parent and wanting to protect your children and having to think ahead and be smart other people wouldn't be as smart as the baby. They'll be posting where they are, doing whatever, even though that they know they've got vulnerable um, people with them at the time, like children or whatever. They've got them with them at the time. They don't care. They're just going to post regardless. I went for um, brunch um, to the gospel brunch at Red Rooster, the cornbread bangs, by the way. Um, service could be better, but the cornbread bangs. Anyway. So I went for the gospel brunch and I made all of my videos while I was there and I didn't post the videos until like two hours after I'd left because I now 
consider my baby's safety um, above everything. And it just gets me the way that even when, you know, people see me with him out and about, some people just leave me the fuck alone and I see them see me see, you know, I see them see me um, sort of thing. And um, they just leave me alone with my family and whatever. But there are some people who you don't know me from anywhere. Sometimes even waiters and waitresses, like you don't know me from anywhere. And then they'll come in and start trying to hold the baby's hand and touch the baby's cheek. Are you mad? Are you fucking mad? Move your fucking hands. Move, move. I don't know what you've done with your hands today. I don't know if you've sanitized them. And then all of a sudden you want to be touching my child. Are you fucking nuts? Like I'll break your rascal jaw. So even that I feel so impassioned about while I'm talking right now. Yeah. So imagine some random person now has a camera up in your face um, at the hotel that you're staying at and then they're making a video. They're like, I want to make this video. I want to make this video. People clock where you are and then they now start gathering outside. How can you guarantee the safety of your child? This is all the baby was explaining to this guy and he still decided to do that. And I agree that if you can't hear, you must feel. So if I've told you don't make a video and you decide that you're going to go ahead and make that video, then you're going to eat the fucking camera phone as far as I'm concerned. It's going to go down your throat, you dickhead. Yeah that's all there is to it so I just wanted to share that because I thought it was a really interesting story last but not least for so you mad um (laughs) Megan and Harry have said well so long farewell auf Wiedersehen goodbye adieu adieu to you and you and you um that's, that's what they told these men, told the royal family, and they've come to an agreement. Look at that. This whole Megxit, Megxit, Megxit thing, because people are taking making a play on Brexit. Duh. Um, Meghan managed to decide what she was doing, get all of it sorted, and we still haven't sorted Brexit, you know. We still haven't sorted Brexit. All of you men that were shouting for Brexit, we still haven't sorted it. Do you know that the Food and the Trading Food Commission, whoever, whoever the fuck they are, whatever they call themselves, yeah, they don't even know what we're going to be doing. Yet Sajid Javid, that dickhead, is saying that, well, you guys had three years to prepare for all of this in terms of how we'd be importing and exporting food. You're a fucking prick. You're a fucking prick. How did they have three years to prefer, uh, prepare if nobody knew what the fuck was going on? Nobody knows what deal you struck. You haven't actually struck a deal. So nobody knows what they're actually preparing for. So how could they know what's going to happen to the cost of foods and the cost of importing um, ingredients and and all sorts? How would they know that exactly people are just dumb and 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 we're being governed by incompetent absolute like imbeciles like they do so fucking ridiculous like they don't have a fucking clue what they're doing nobody does they're just chopping our money and doing nothing it blows my mind absolutely blows my mind so um anyway i said that to say megan didn't have that problem megan was like i'm out of this motherfucker and she's out and the queen had to kind of get with it so i think it's been reported now that they'll no longer use their hrh titles um they'll no longer use that which cool keep your title but i do wonder why is prince andrew still able to use his because you said that he was stepping down from royal duties right because um he allegedly um likes to move mad with um little girls um, but he's still keeping his HRH, but they have to relinquish their HRH. And then maybe they want to, maybe they want to relinquish her um, Royal Majesty, his Royal Highness, or sorry, his Royal Highness or her Royal Highness. Maybe they do want to relinquish it because they just want to get on with their lives. But why has no one demanded that Prince Andrew also release his? Because 
him, his transgressions far outweigh them just wanting to live private lives, you know. But what ifs, because we know the world is mad. So they're going to give up the HRH title and um, they're going to give back, I think it's at 2.1 million that they spent renovating the cottage that they live in. Um, they're going to give that back because I think that that's somehow taxpayers' money. So they're going to give that back. And I think that the reason Megan's giving that back is because the rest of you men were like, oh, and are they going to pay back the money that they used to renovate their house? Because now that they don't want to, you know, know us and be around us. And Megan's like, oh, yeah, boo, you can have your money back. You can take that chicken change back. Imagine spending 2.1 million on renovating a home. 2.1 million. God, do my own. As you've done other people's, do my own. I beg. Amen wow but anyway they were like you can have your stupid money back you can have your um, stupid rustle money back here you go 2.1 million there you go fuck off so they'll be paying that back and you know that's a trade deal so she even sorted a trade deal upon Megxit and she's like bye everything done everything done yet we're still here waiting to find out what's happening with Brexit <laughs> nonsense and tomfoolery is all that we have in this country this country's mad but the person who's more mad is Piers Morgan. Why can't he leave this Megan girl alone? And I've been hearing that the reason he got sacked from CNN allegedly was because of sexual harassment. Like he's got a problem with women. Like he, why are you on her case? The guy went and blocked me, you know. He blocked me because um, I basically told him to suck his mum. And I've been telling him to suck his mum, so I don't know why this time hurt him more. But anyway, I'm blocked. <laughs> Good. Now I just need Trump to block me. But um, yeah, so it's just, yeah, it's just extremely wild um, to me that people are now upset because she's, a, she's apparently tearing the royal family apart. They're not a family, they're an institution, they're a business deal. They're not a family as far as I'm concerned. When they could have been a family was when they um, should have treated Diana better, but nobody did. Charles moved mad to her. The Queen moved mad to her. Everybody moved mad to Diana and Diana's no longer here. So Harry's like, fuck all of you, man. I don't want to do this anymore. And he should be well within his rights to, to do that. So I just don't understand the uproar. And now they've gone to bring Meghan's dad. That if I if I'm sorry, yeah. If I had a dad that was that whatless, if I had a dad that was that trash, I would send him a cake laced with rat poison because he is the worst. Imagine your dad being out and out op. Your dad is just an op. Like if anyone wants to cause you any grief, if there are any enemies of progress that want to see your demise, all they have to do is call on your dad. Do you know how wild that is? He's now on Sky News, was it, talking about, yeah, she's really brought shame to the royal family. She's made them a laughing stock. She's made them a Walmart of um, the crown or whatever, whatever. He was just using bare terms that you can tell people have fed him. And I sort of think as well that I feel like the royal family is still involved in that. So even though they've gone, oh yeah, we're more than happy. We accept that they want to live their private lives. We're totally fine with that I think that they're doing things now to basically discredit Megan and make sure that she can't even roll in this country and be comfortable to me like after watching the crown it's so clear that 
the institution is shook of anybody from the royal family overshadowing um, or outshining um, the the sovereign, like outshining the queen, outshining Charles or outshining William, whoever the fuck. So it's just like, yeah, we're going to ruin Meghan's name. That's what we're going to do now. So she can't even step foot on these streets anymore. She's going to be um, like just hated in this country. That's what we're going to do. It's so vile. It's so nasty. And I definitely feel like they're behind it because why are they wheeling out this guy? And why is no one? Why is Kate? Why is William not come forward and be like, you know what, actually, this is long. Um, can we stop attacking my brother? Can you stop attra- um, attacking my sister-in-law? Nothing. Everyone's just silent because they're jealous. They're jealous and they don't want them to have nice things. But as much as, you know, you know how I feel about the monarchy, you know how I feel about the empire, you know how I feel about all of that. I still feel like, you know what, Harry, Meghan, Meghan, go and do your thing. Like, go and live your best life. Like, fuck all of them. Fuck all of them, innit? And then people are like, oh, when they break up, oh, yeah, he's going to go running back to his family. Why are you wishing breaking up on people? Why are you wishing breaking up on people? You have to sit down and really ask yourself why you're so nasty and you're so rude. You need to ask yourself that because it's absolutely disgusting as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, that's all I really wanted to share. Um... For so you mad. Um, so let's get into straw of the week, aka suck your mum. Straw of the week, aka suck your mother. Um, as I told Piers to, and now he's upset. <laughs> so my suck your mum this week. Uh, week my share. Your, um, I was going to say my share your magnificent. Share your straw. No, my straw of the week, aka suck your mum, goes out to Comme de Garçon. Um, for this whole weird wig fiasco. So they were doing, I think, is it was it their winter 2020 show, whatever the fuck? So they were doing their fashion show, runway, whatever, whatever. And they basically put um, the models, the white models, the white male models, they put them in um, these lace front wigs that um, had cane rows. Um, this was during Paris Fashion Week. So it says here, at Paris Fashion Week earlier to, well, the other day, fashion brand Comme de Garçon um, came under fire for their autumn winter 2020 show, sending mod- models mostly white down the runway wearing cornrowed lace front wigs. Um, upon the release of the photos from the collection, many online called out the brand. Um, and someone said, I feel exactly how these uh, wigs look. Tired, disinterested in being here. Um the wigs are terrible. I just want to put that out there. Like, if that's not apparent yet, I just want you to know that the the wig um, is terrible. And this isn't the first time that they've been dragged because in 2018, there was an article that said, why won't Comme de Garçon hire black models? Because... Um, after the, the person, the writer says, after researching the brand's past collections, um, after reviewing the 52 runway, 54 runway shows, excluding the as yet unavailable fall 1991 season on Vogue, which includes a total of 2,533 looks, I was only able to identify five black models, a total of 32 appearances comprising of 1.2, uh, 1.26% of the total runway exits over the entire cover time span. So we know that they're racist and that doesn't surprise us. I'm just like, (sighs) am I really surprised? I don't think I'm surprised by how tone deaf people are when they do these sort of things. I'm not, I'm not shocked really because I know 
when we look at that guy like Lawrence Fox and people like that, people revel in getting black people angry. They revel in saying stupid shit. Um, Because Lawrence Fox was the one that was on BBC Question Time, I think, and he was saying, like, to call me white male um, and privilege is racist. Whoever knows him, why you haven't given him a slap a backhand is beyond me, but he definitely deserves it. And for people who were like, oh, well, I used to know of him and he wasn't ever really like this. No, no, no. People don't just become that racist over, overnight. Like it's been there. Whether you chose to see it is another thing completely. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's just extremely wild to me that they, at their big, big age, as in Comme des Garçons, are unaware that that would be insulting and I know the designer came forward um or is it the stylist whoever did the wigs was like oh I was just really inspired by Egyptian kings and that's why I put them yes the hairstylist was like I was just really inspired by the Egyptian prince look and I didn't intend to um, hurt or offend anyone but you're a liar I feel like now I see that you a lot of people just want to use this outrage to have their stuff talked about because obviously these pictures are going around and your thing is being shared like these terrible photos are being shared and people are laughing and um, but ultimately it's getting you lots more brand recognition and people love to know which brands are racist so they can go and support them so you know it works for them it really really works for them but I don't know how you would think that this even looks like an Egyptian prince. If I was an Egyptian prince, I would come out of my um, my pyramid, you know, my tomb, and I'd come and fuck you up. I'd come and fuck you up because this is fucking rude. It's incredibly rude. It's nasty. It's ugly. It's incredibly ugly. And where would you have found it but a black hair shop? <sighs> I'm just tired. I'm tired of fashion houses pretending like they don't know when they're moving mad. Like, you know what you're doing. Like, don't, 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 don't be dumb. You know what you're doing. And if you don't know what you're doing, that's even more scary because you're really, really moving through this life, getting all of the things and having no fucking clue. Either way, you can go suck your mum. That's what I want. I want you to find a cane road straw or make a straw out of hair and use it to suck your mother. That's what I'd very much appreciate. So, yeah, that's my suck your mum. Uh, straw of the week which is in no way anywhere near the wonderful letters that I have received so my first letter comes from I'm going to name them Madeline um random but I'll call them Madeline it says here hi Kalechi first of all before I give my nomination for straw of the week I would like to thank you for everything you have unknowingly done for me since I started listening to your podcast I've been tuning in for four months now and within that time I truly feel you have had the most positive influence on my life It is a shame that in this day and age, we do not see enough people who are unapologetically themselves and just continue to break barriers with every step they take. For too long, I've been scared to speak out and do me. Through listening to you, I can truly say something has been unhooked in me and it feels so freeing to be more comfortable in who I am instead of aspiring to a niceness that just supports white supremacy in the grand scheme of things. Bop, bop, bop. I love that. Um, I've just listened finished listening to your TEDx talk and in that moment the empowered woman in you spoke to the empowered woman in me and she rose to the the surface after being dormant for so long 
and told me it's time for it's time to let go of some shame that's been holding me back for too long. Although I realise I have nothing to be ashamed of in what I'm about to say, it is hard to rationalise with the part of the psyche that holds on to shame, especially in the hostile environment that is racist Britain. So my straw of the week goes out to the Home Office, who through various applications refused to grant me British citizenship or assist me in getting my working visa, despite the fact that I was born here and have lived here the majority of my life. To give some brief background to this, I was born in the UK to a Zambian mother and a British father who were not married at the time due to some fuckery by the British government, but that is their story to tell. They separated when I was three. My mother took me to Zambia and then my dad received full custody of me and returned me to the UK at seven. My father did not register me as a British citizen due to his own trauma and lack of funds. He was raised in foster care, so has an issue with authority amongst other things. I love my parents very much, but they failed me at various stages in life. This negligence on their part has haunted me ever since in the shape of the Home Office. I am now 28 years old. Since 21, I have done applications for naturalisation, denied, and so far two working visas accepted but have cost me so much money and I have no access to public funds. I have been in the process of doing a Windrush application for over a year now and have received pushback for a response and I'm now applying for another working visa as they have not responded to that in time. My major grievance with them is the way I have had to justify my existence in a country I was born in, have studied, worked, paid taxes and lived most of my life in. I do not have a relationship with my mother so Zambia is a foreign land to me and I constantly and I'm constantly made to feel like I don't belong anywhere. I've recently had to request a fee waiver for the current application as I've been unable to work full time due to my disability and strain on my finances has meant that I've gone into debt and will be destitute if I pay these fees. The fees are extortionate and my and both my partner and I, though uh, through circumstances, are unable to meet them. I've received pushback at every corner and have felt humiliated having to provide information for not just me, but my partner and his mother, as well as friends and family. I'm not allowed my own autonomy, despite the fact that I've had to support myself for so long and the lack of compassion and understanding is, although expected, so hard to come to terms with. My disability means that I'm unable to uh, to walk some days and if I do, the quality of life I have suffers in other ways. All this makes me feel shame because I feel displaced. I feel like I don't belong and I feel like a foreigner in my own home. I've heard of white South... South Africans with less grounds than me receiving citizenship and it makes my blood boil. I wanted to share this to get it off my chest but also so we can all collectively tell the Home Office to suck their mum. I'm going to continue fighting and I've found my own strength through various means, your TEDx talk being one. Sometimes I know it would be easier to walk away but I must get what is rightfully mine and what I deserve and I will be putting that energy out there so it will be returned. I apologise for the novel, but I'm grateful for any time given to this. I wish you all the happiness and success in your life and for your family and can't wait to see you collect your first Academy Award in the future. Regards, Madeline. Thank you. Thank you, Madeline. That's not her real name. I gave her that name. Thank you so much um, for that. And I wonder what we can do um, because that's fucked. That's absolutely fucked that you are having to go through all of this like the home office are pussy clots as far as I'm concerned because 
you shouldn't have to be doing all of this. And like you said, yes, there are white South Africans that get their citizenship. Yeah, some of them struggle, rare, 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 but they eventually get it. Why they're making it so hard for you? Well, we know why. It's beyond me. It's not beyond me. Um, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that this is happening. And I don't know whether it's like a crowdfund that needs to happen, but something needs to happen because this is too much. It's too much. It's too much. It's, It's unfair. And if, um, because I know like lots of lawyers and that listen to this. um, So if there's any of you um, immigration lawyers out there um, who feel like you can assist uh, with this, do send me a letter or send me an email to sym at kalechiokafor.com or tweet at me, pardon me, tweet at me. And um, I can hopefully put you in contact with Madeline um, to see if you can be of some assistance because we've all got to come together. Like you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't care about the world that we're living in so if we can do something let me know so yeah my next letter then the next um straw of the week comes from let me see lola Thank you, Lola. It says here, hello, Kalechi. Firstly, I want to say thank you so much for your podcast, your presence in everything you do. I especially want to say thank you as a non-binary person, because even if it's a small thing, you include us in your language and little things like that really help make me feel like we matter. Uh, I have a nomination for you for Straw of the Week. I'm an immigrant to the UK from the US. I grew up hearing US politicians compare my mother to a paedophile just for who she loved. I immigrate to the UK a decade ago only to find the same types of arguments used against trans people here in 2020. If I were to write to you, um, write into you every time I saw an incident of transphobia in or endorsed by the UK media or a politician or a celebrity, you'd be giving out so many straws along with the other straws you rightfully give out. Straws would actually become an environmental issue. But this week, I've actually written in because sometimes it's not the violently hateful people that truly frustrate you. It's the ones who insist on being neutral. In 2017, MP Jess Phillips, who is now standing for Labour leadership, retweeted a group whose sole mission is to make sure that trans women aren't included in women's spaces, while pretending like their mission is to protect women's spaces. Recently, in a Pink News video, author Juno Dawson asked her to clarify this action. While I'm glad that Jess Phillips has made it more clear that she supports trans women, she turns what should be a discussion about how her action made trans people feel into a pity fest about how scared cis people are about getting it wrong and how kindness should be a basic thing. I'm sure that um, it's not just trans people who can appreciate how frustrating it is for people to pretend like oppression is the result of the oppressed not being kind enough. Jess Phillips talks about the heat around this conversation. What conversation? Why are trans people's lives up for conversation constantly in this country? And why does she think it's appropriate to turn what should be just an apology for what may have very well been an unintended action into painting this situation as some kind of, as some type of sad maelstrom that she, the poor cis person, can't find their way through. Trans people only get access to affirming healthcare in this country through the Gender Identity Clinic or GICs. Um, We literally have to go in there and present as the gender we want to be, which usually involves adhering to 50s era Western gender roles. Um, After two years of waiting, being promised I would be respected as a non-binary person, I was chucked out of the GIC and told that they couldn't 
countenance endorsement of an irreversible surgery because I had not socially consolidated my gender role. I'm an agender person, meaning I don't feel that I have any gender. I wore jeans and a t-shirt and yet they said I presented as a woman. How am I supposed to present? As a robot? Your guess is uh, to what social consolidation means is as good as mine. Oh, and this was all happening whilst I was participating in an NHS focus group trying to help the NHS learn how uh, to treat trans people better. Irony of ironies. Trans people have cis people tell us we're not ready for our own healthcare decisions, but we're not kind enough. Trans people have to perform an outdated version of gender to get access to medical care but we're not kind enough trans people have to resort to block lists so we can be ourselves online without harassment but won't someone feel bad for the poor cis person that might mess up a pronoun what a travesty that's the real problem here TERFs cloud their language in a lot of confusing things. I get that. Even well-intentioned and trans-positive people can find themselves suckered in by these groups because they won't outright admit that they hate trans women and trans people in general, but will pretend it's about protecting women as if trans people are um, as if trans people are a threat to that. I am so, 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 so exhausted with people who want to act like the rampant transphobia in this country is created by trans people getting mad at cis people for messing up. I use they pronouns i get misgendered every day i don't have the privilege to be offended or angry about it when i ask people to use my pronouns i get told i'm a special snowflake or people will argue with me about grammar so i don't even bother and yeah intent does mean the difference between a debate about grammar and a left hook to my face but it's the thousands of people who don't intend to hurt me who do nothing when other people do that make it possible for people who do um Maybe some people would uh, tell me that I shouldn't nominate Jess for a straw because, hey, she apologised. She had good intentions and I should nominate someone who is unapologetic in their transphobia. But I'm tired of being blamed for my own oppression. And as it turns out, there are plenty of straws for them all. So one um, for all of the unapologetically violent transphobic people. One for the GICs who think they know trans people more than we know ourselves. One for J.K. Rowling. One for Boy George. One from Graham Linehan. And one for Ricky Gervais. One for the people who think their intent should abdicate them from the responsibility of their words. And one for Jess Phillips and every single person that blames trans people in this conversation about our lives, our rights, our freedoms for not being kind enough to the people who are standing on our necks. Anyone who thinks they can debate their way out of systemic discrimination uh, discrimination doesn't understand what uh, systemic discrimination is thank you again for your podcast and everything you're kind enough to share with us on social media platforms in a world where i'm told that i'm a special snowflake an attention seeker and weird for just being a baby non-binary you are a constant reminder that i'm not just a special snowflake i'm an exceptional avalanche and i'll bury every last one of them amen lola you bury those motherfuckers because that is what we are here to do you are a baby person you are divine in everything that you do and fuck these people and i'm with you on jess phillips like i don't like her and i've said that on the show before i'm not with it and my not with itness started with how she moved towards diane abbott so you've just given me another very very strong reason to continue in my fuck Jess Phillips feelings because you can't claim to be for the people and then you're leaving out a massive group of people and you're doing it intentionally so and again I don't believe that you're truly sorry about um you know um joining or or or, um uh, what's it advocating or whatever they were endorsing rather um this nasty group 
uh, that clearly hate trans people. I don't believe you're truly sorry because if you were truly sorry, you wouldn't have switched the conversation to being about you. And oh my God, it's just so hard as a cis person to know what to call these people. You know what to call these people, what they fucking tell you to call them. Like, why are you struggling? Why is it so, so hard? Currently, I'm um, working on, in you know, coming up with uh, a script of, of sorts for my teachers at the pole dance studio because more non-binary people um, are coming through our doors more um you know queer people people from the um, lgbtq plus communities are coming through and i it's important for me that people feel safe and they feel celebrated and they feel loved and things can change in a moment if people use the uh, like the wrong inappropriate language so i'm really really starting to kind of look at that and then reaching out to um teachers i already have to help me with that because when nobody's free if one of us is still unfree we've been told that already right so it matters to me that we all have a place that we know um, we can be ourselves and we're respected and we're celebrated for being ourselves. Um, so no, I totally agree with you, Lola. Like all of them people can get straws. All of them can suck out. They can suck their fucking mothers. Yes. Um, and beautifully written. I think you should write all of my reads, all of my drags. Like you should write all of them, all of my suck your mums. You should write them. You're amazing. Thank you so much. And, um, yeah, I guess that's it for this episode, uh, of this wonderful show. Thank you, like I said, for everyone who listens every week and all of that. Like, honestly, you don't realise the things that you're helping me do behind the scenes. And whoever tries to step in my way, thunder will fire them. And that is the mood and the vibe for 2020. Um, but I'm, I'm intending on big things. Watch this space. So, yeah, send me your letters to sym at kelechiokafor.com. That's basically, you know, sym, suck your mum share your say your mind why do i keep wanting to say share your mind say your mind send me all of that to sym at kelechiokafor.com you can follow me on at kelechnikoff or at say your mind pod you can still watch the why am i hitting the mic you can still watch the tedx video um that would be greatly appreciated um thank you to madeline and lola for writing in um and sharing your beautiful thoughts um, with me. I love the beauty in your truth. Um, and then, yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't think I've got any announcements. I can't really remember. If I've got anything, I'll probably tweet it. So, yeah, that's it. I've been Kalechi Okafor, and this has been SYM, officially known as Say Your Mind, unofficially known as What What? That's right, suck your mum. Go forth, prosper, have a wonderful week. Don't make videos of people if they're with their children or they've told you expressly that they don't want videos made of them. And Piers Morgan can continue blocking me the way that God is blocking his blessings. Peace. It's the Ben's Brunani woman is Baby boys, baby girls, you need to hear this so Sit down, sit down, receive this realness Make sure your cup's ready for the tea We are go sipping here Hard time scrolling for your long shorts You might learn something you never know Collect you find And she's one of a kind Don't say you mind, say you mind